0: One very early memory of mine happened at a liquor store. Right down the street from where I lived, as you walked in the door, immediately to the right, there was one of those rotating hangers and had all these hang, hangings, hangers on it. And there were toys all over. Toys that, you know, a four, five, six-year-old boy would be really interested in. And toys that that hypothetical four, five, or six-year-old boy would be really interested, but have no money to pay for. So one time, I sit there trying to open the package and see what fell out into my hands when all of a sudden I was picked up off the floor by my arm and carried behind the counter, yelled at, and threatened with the police. His grip broke just for a moment, and in that moment I found my escape out that door, never to set foot in that liquor store again. Surprised I didn't get more amens. You know, I praise Jesus for that memory that still burns in my mind more than 40 years later. You know why? Because I believe God used that to scare shoplifting out of my soul. I am not tempted to shoplift because the fear of a liquor store owner is real. The fear of God, though, is better. And he is the one who said you shall not steal. Simply put, don't take what belongs to someone else, even if that's something belongs to the liquor store owner. Allow me to make a few key notes on this verse. Number one. When we get to Exodus chapter 20 verse 15, private property is implicit in the command. There is no theft if there is no ownership. It's clear, God the Father, neither God the Father nor God the Son are communists. Now we'll see below that neither were they strict capitalists. In fact, I guess a better way to describe God the Father, or God the Son, and God the Spirit in this case is they are care for one another, ists. God calls us not to fear because fear is a motivation for theft. God calls us not to fear so that we can have the generous hearts that would never even think about stealing. Number two, I notice here that what is stolen is not addressed at all. It can literally be anything. Now, it is true, the Old Testament does give us some guidance. Don't steal people or kidnap them. Don't steal property like little bags of toys at a liquor store. Don't steal someone else's dignity by lying about them, for example. And don't steal someone's trust by cheating them. Now, of course, in this day, the applications are myriad. Don't steal someone's intellectual property is certainly a concern for today. Simply put, don't take what belongs to someone else. But thirdly, lastly, is before we leave Exodus 20, verse 15, I want to note the fact that thou shalt not steal makes the top ten. God is serious here. He is including thou shalt not steal in the top 10 most significant commands that he could think of. And we should note well that property, whatever that property is, and how we use that property gets to the heart of all of us. In fact... What we choose to do with the things and relationships and circumstances of this world reveals to which world we are currently headed. Now, we have a long ways to go tonight, so I want to jump straight into what Jesus said. Because, as with all the other sermons in this series, not being guilty of having stolen something is not enough. Jesus calls us to something much more penetrating. Therefore, the big idea tonight is don't worry. Be generous. Don't worry. Be generous. Let's look at part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount again because Jesus will help us if we listen so that we will be able to stand up under the temptation to steal. I'm going to read Matthew 6, 19-24. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now I was reminded earlier this week of the first point that I want to make here when Mike Jones quoted a mutually favorite little book. It's called The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn, where he says, you cannot take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Randy, and then subsequently Mike and I, get this point from verse 19 through 21. Jesus once again says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, Where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the first question we need to ask as we come to this passage is what is heavenly treasure? And the answer to that is going to be whatever it is that brings God glory. Now, that, that's a myriad of things, and hopefully we'll figure some of that out. But one way to look at what is heavenly treasure would be to say that heavenly treasure is that which is valued or honored or pursued with great energy in heaven. So, what is valued in heaven? What is honored in heaven? What is pursued with great energy in heaven? God's glory. The glory of God above all things, including all things. So, whatever it is that brings God glory here in your life and in mine is heavenly treasure. So, for example, anytime you sacrifice your time, your talent, or your treasure to bless somebody in Jesus' name, anytime you cheerfully give someone so that someone else can see the difference that Jesus makes in your life, anytime you regularly give to support those ministries that honor Jesus this church, another church, a Bible believing, Christ honoring nonprofit here in town or around the world, or maybe a missionary. When you do this, you and I create treasure in heaven. And anytime you put your treasure where your mouth is, donating your time or your money to the crisis pregnancy center right here in town. Donating your time or your money to serve the homeless at Central Coast Rescue Mission. What about donating your coffee time and money and sit down with a younger mom so that she can learn from you that child raising is the long hard patient task of meaning what you say when you say it anytime you put your treasure where your mouth is you are laying up heavenly treasures and you send that treasure on ahead as it would as it were for god's glory and for your joy And so when we begin today to live like stuff is not as important as God's glory. When we realize that stuff is not our source of life, then you will live for the first time. You will be born again. Because you cannot take it with you. But you can send it on ahead. I highly recommend you get yourself a copy of the treasure principle it's not an expensive book and you know what we have a couple of copies here at the church ask us we'll get a copy for you next jesus acknowledges a common truth we see with our physical eyes because the light around us is on whatever it is we're looking at and jesus teaches a deeper truth what we treasure, what we value, what we hold as dear to us becomes our glasses, so to speak. They are our lenses through which we see the world around us. I get this in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light In you is darkness. Oh my goodness, how great is that darkness. Whatever you treasure, whatever you focus your time, your talent, and your treasures on, that will blind you to anything and everything else. Paul says something very similar to this to Titus. He says, to the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. But both in their minds and their consciences are defiled. If what you are looking at in your heart, if what you concentrate on, if what you can't get out of your mind, if what you are looking at in your heart is Jesus, then your heart will be full of light. And everything else in the world will be as well, because you will see it in relationship to him. Even stuff will be seen as useful and good when used for his kingdom. Your relationships will be seen as opportunities to magnify Jesus. Your circumstances will remind you that these momentary and light afflictions are preparing for you something infinitely better as opposed to something to cause you to be depressed. If what you're concentrating on, however, is whatever will make your kingdom on this earth bigger or more secure or more comfortable, then nothing will be pure and the darkness of that death will oppress you and those around you. How great is that darkness? Let me put Jesus' point in another way. Stuff or circumstances, or relationships, whatever it is that you believe you need in addition to Jesus to make your life better, stuff in your eyes will make you blind. So instead of focusing on your stuff or your circumstances or your relationships, instead of focusing on something else, focus on Jesus' promises for you. Because then you will be looking at what is pure, and your heart will be pure, and you shall see God. And as you see God, you will know Him better. As you know Him better, you will therefore love Him and trust Him more. And you will be able, perhaps for the first time in your life, not to worry, but to be generous. Don't worry. Be generous. So then the next question that Jesus wants to address is, how do I get my heart to value right things? And I'll just say it straight up. Jesus doesn't stutter. He speaks very plainly. Verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, guys... Let's get practical here. Have you ever noticed that when you're looking for a truck, the only vehicle on the road you can see are trucks? Am I the only one? Okay, someone's with me. Have you ever noticed, maybe ladies, you can identify with this better. Have you ever noticed if, that if some circumstance is distasteful for you the, only person that you, the only people you can see are those who don't have that struggle? Is anybody with me now? We see what we are looking at. Similarly, what you treasure turns you blind to other treasures. If you are devoted in your heart to valuing, to longing for, to desiring one thing, then no matter how good something else is, you just won't see it. It's just the way it is. Jesus says we are servant to our master. And money, commonly worshipped in every culture, money will blind you to God. Why is that? Because God has the audacity. God has the just get-in-your-facedness to say that you need to trust him and not cash. Money will blind you to God because God calls you not to serve money. And everybody around you is saying, you need more money. Everybody around you believes if they just had one more zero on the end of their paycheck, all their problems would be solved. God calls you not to invest your heart and your hands and your head into doing whatever it is that money requires you to do to get more money. Instead, he calls you to trust him who owns all the cattle on all the hills of the world. The old saw is that a reporter went up to Rockefeller or Carnegie or Bill Gates or Steve Jobs, whichever version of the story you heard. The old Reporter walks up to this rich man and he says, Hey, Mr. Rockefeller, how much more money do you need? Just a little more. Just a little more. Why do you need just a little more, Bill Gates? I'll tell you why. Because if what you're depending on is money, you literally can never have enough because it can always be taken away from you. In fact, go to J.D. Rockefeller or Steve Jobs today and ask them how much money they have. You need to understand something about idols. You need to understand about making something into a god. Little g, god in this case. A god Must provide its worshiper with provision, protection, and purpose. Has to. If it doesn't do those three things, it's not a God. A a God must provide provision, protection, and purpose. Now, money is the most common alternative to Jesus, but it fails when it is needed most, as we just said. And when you're worshiping the God of money, boy, it's easy to be tempted to steal. Because if I just had that, if I just had this, then I'd be satisfied. Everything would be okay. See, anybody with me here? Does anybody anybody experience this at any time in their life? But Jesus gives us blue chip advice. He's got the corner on every stock market in the planet. And the advice that Jesus gives is, trust God, not money. Which is why he gave the advice then, trust God and not money. And then he provided several strong arguments to show us the reality of this advice. Now, I want you to listen carefully. You're about to hear six individual arguments that make the case as to why, not that you don't need money, but six arguments as to why you should trust God and not money. And I find them in Matthew 6, starting in verse 25, right where we left off. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or more about your body, what you will put on. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith! If you're tempted to think that you won't have the provisions you need, you are going to be tempted to steal. If you think, man, i got to come up with everything I need on my own steam, and you see that little bag of toys hanging on that revolving hanger, you're going to be tempted to steal it. But Jesus says, you don't have anything to worry about. You don't have anything to worry about. And Jesus wants to explain to us why we should not allow anxiety to overwhelm us. And then in a few minutes, we'll turn to Paul and see what we must do to strengthen that not-fearing muscle in our hearts by being generous. We will see that we must not worry, but we must be generous. Now, for the record, I want to give credit to what's coming, to John Piper, whose comments I've made my own because I've taught it so many times. But to start off, I want to address the fact that Jesus sets up the universal problem. And he addresses this in the first part of verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Jesus is very clear. Don't worry about it. Now, they didn't have 401ks back then, so he wasn't talking about that. But, man, this is a pretty good list of things that you might worry about, especially if money is what you are depending on. So, argument number one, why should we not worry, Jesus? And Jesus says, your life is so much more than whatever problems you face. Oh, my goodness. My friends, breathe just for a second. You you have to breathe this air just for a moment. Your life is so much bigger than whatever problems are going on in your life right now. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Answer, of course. Don't worry about it. He will give you what you need. You don't have to steal it or be anxious about not having it. And yet, and yet, Jesus is a realist. He knows you need food and shelter and clothing. We'll get to that in a moment. But first, we get to our second argument. Your life is more than problems. The second one, God takes care of the small things. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Answer, yes. You are more valuable. God's got the back of those little Tweety birds in my backyard. Guess what? He's also got yours. Not only does he know what you need, but he's got your back. He takes care of all the little details. But I also want to note something else. Birds are above all industrious. My wife teases me. She says I have a bird collection in my backyard. We have 13 um, chickens, and then the silly little ECDs, the little pigeons fly into my backyard and they eat the bird's grain. And But then, not only that, but we've got A hundred little Tweety Birds because my wife planted these bushes and they've got like four or five nests back there and then those little tiny falcons fortunately not the big ones but those little tiny falcons keep coming in my backyard I think they're eating the little Tweety Birds but I'm not positive (laughs) but the point is is that Jesus knows what these little Tweety Birds need and man do they multiply but they are working hard All the time. They never stop working. Guess what? You and I need to keep working as well. We must work. We must save. We must invest. We must use the money that God gives us. us. The difference between us and the Gentiles is we don't worry about it and we don't worship it. Instead, we trust our Heavenly Father like His industrious little birds do. My friends, never forget, grace is opposed to earning. But grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning, not effort. What about argument number three? Frankly, Jesus says, worry hurts, it doesn't help. Verse 27, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? Let's be honest here, we all know ulcers, drinking, bouts of anger, depression, Do I need to keep going on that list? How about argument number four? You know what? Far from needing to worry, God provides extravagantly. Verse 28. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Jesus knows. He knows Solomon. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? I used to go hiking the Sierras all the time. And it was... One of the great things about hiking up there is we would always take one day on our 10-day hike and we'd go hike where there was no trail. We did it on purpose. And you'd go hiking around this corner, around this bend on this mountain, and you'd see all laid out before you, area that likely no other human being that year would see. Grass, flowers, trees, water. Why on earth would God create flowers that no human being would see? My first answer, because he enjoys it. Do you remember your toddler? Do it again, Papa. Imagine Jesus, flower. Oh, do it again. Oh, do it again. Yes, do it again. He does it because it makes us happy. Secondly, God the Father makes those flowers to remind us that the world is not about us. God delights in oceans of fishes that none of us will ever, ever, ever see. He does it because he makes him happy, extravagantly, gloriously happy. But thirdly, God does it because God loves Being God. God loves being God. And God extravagantly blessing creation reminds you and me that he loves to be extravagant with his people. Are you not of much more value than they? Answer, of course you are. So fret not. Be anxious not. God is extravagant with you. Even when that extravagance is only noticed through the eyes of faith, you know what I'm talking about. These momentary light afflictions don't always seem so momentary and they don't always seem so light. Amen? It takes the eyes of faith to see it. So don't worry, be generous. Argument five, God's got your back. Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. The people who don't trust the promises of God for them in Christ, they seek after all these things. And they're, they're consumed by them. But your heavenly father knows that you need them all. You know, it's, an, it's one thing for a filthy rich American living in one of the best Places in the world to say, oh, you don't need to worry about money. But you know what? Even for the people who aren't filthy rich living in the best part of the country, this verse reminds us that God knows what you need. And frankly, let's just be honest here. Let's just be straightforward. In this culture, at this time, where we live, you need money. You're not going to get around in this world without it. God knows that. And He knows exactly what you need. And sometimes, maybe all the time, what you need more than money is trust in His promises. So trust in the promises of God for you in Christ. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need. And it isn't like he's going to withhold food and clothes that you need. When that is, in fact, what you need. Oh my goodness. One of the best promises in all the Bible is Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all. How will he not, along with him, Jesus... How will he not, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things that we need? And sometimes what we need is lack. And that is when we must see with eyes of faith instead of the eyes in our head. But as I've said here many times, Christian, look at me for a moment. if you trust the promises of God for you in Christ, you are safe. and You are loved. You are safe. You are loved. Your Father in Heaven knows what you need and when you need it. Even when what you need right now is lack. And He's your Father. He will give you what you need. Ask yourself, what thing, what relationship, what circumstance are you depending on in addition to Jesus? When you're honest with yourself, what does your heart tell you that you need besides Jesus? Just so that we're real here, we are all there, every single one of us. And if we claim that we're not, we're lying to ourselves. And we need to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, show me what I am depending on besides you. And he's so gracious, he will do it. Ask yourself, what thing or relationship or circumstance am I depending on? And then, take it to the Lord. Find a promise. Romans 8.32 is a great place to start. If you need another one that's more specific to your circumstance, call me. We'll talk about it but not this week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, or Friday, because I'm in jury duty. And when you take this promise, know that you are safe. Know that you are loved. then you'll be able to receive the next promise that Jesus gives us in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus knows you need these things, and so when you're kingdom-minded, when you're doing what you know you ought to be doing, he'll make sure that you have the resources you need to keep going. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Put these promises in your heart and trust them. What things, what things, Jesus, will you add to us? Whatever you need to glorify God. Because, Christian, the world that you live in right now is a perfectly safe place for you to be. Christian, one who trusts in the promises of God for you in Christ, this world. Is a perfectly safe place for you to be. For as long as Jesus wants you here. So don't worry. Be generous. Last argument, number six, join with Jesus now because you ain't got time for that. No time to worry. Matthew 6:34 Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I got to hear an amen on that one. Some of you may or may not know this. I get this from my stepdad. I'm sorry. The great American troubadour Willie Nelson once said, "I could cry for all the time I've wasted." But that's a waste of time and tears. Sorry. You know what? You could cry. You've wasted time and tears abundantly. Tell me I'm wrong. But that's a waste of time and tears. It's a waste. (laughs) Yeah, that ain't no good. Worry, anxiety, fear is not only a waste of time and tears. It's dumb. Amen. Amen. You serve the King of Kings and the President of Presidents. You don't have anything to be afraid of, my friends. So stop it. Don't do it. Don't worry. Be generous. Let me add one more thing before we leave this. When you pray to Jesus, you are praying to the wisest, most intelligent, capable, and giving person in the universe who is willing to help you in any and every situation. When you pray to Jesus, you are praying to the wisest, most intelligent, capable, and giving person in the universe who is willing and able to help you in any and every situation. Write that down and say it to yourself when you need it. Jesus understands you. He knows what makes you tick. He gets how you feel. He recognizes your fears and failures and your dreams, and He acknowledges all your best qualities and hopes and longings. He knows your sin, and He is still willing to hear and answer your concerns. Trust Him. Because if the wisest, most intelligent, capable giving person in the universe is willing to help you, then you know that the advice that he gives you is good. Better than blue chip. Now I want to step away from the poetry of Jesus' six arguments. And I want to move to Paul. Because Paul, in this case, is a lot more direct. And he gives four promises that are relevant to a heart that is intent on training itself not to steal, among other things. Because you will best train your heart not to steal, not by going home and saying, don't steal, don't steal, don't steal. That's dumb. That won't get you anywhere. Instead, you will train your heart not to even think about stealing when you know and love and trust God's promises for you. Because then you won't be afraid of the future. You won't be afraid of any lack. Because you know that any lack that you do have, it'll be because God gave that to you. So let's look at Paul's passage in 2 Corinthians 9, chapter chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Paul says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compassion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all time, you may abound in all good works. Bottom line, God is able to make all grace abound to you. Are you missing stuff? God is able to make all grace abound to you. Are you missing circumstances? your circumstances frustrating? God is able to make all grace abound to you. Are your relationships painful? God is able to make all grace abound to you. And when, not if, when, And when, like the Macedonians, your poverty wells up into generosity, you will also have the joy, the peace, the wholeness that is necessary to live in such a way that theft, stealing, will be the furthest thing from your mind. So don't worry, be generous. Let's get down to it. You know what? The old song, it was a great song. I I still sing it to myself, sang it to myself many times this week. Don't worry. Be happy. All right, yeah, you all know that song. I know you do. It kept going through my mind. And you know what? I like that song. It's a fun song. But you know what will get you not to worry? You know what will get you not to steal or even think about stealing? Generosity. Letting go of stuff so that people can have what they need. Whoa! What a game changer! You can be a part of what God uses to provide for your neighbor, for the near one that God puts in your life. You know what's going to keep you from wanting to steal? Being generous. But not with viruses. If you have a virus, keep it to yourself, okay? Go home. Take some therapy. I said just a moment ago that we choose to what we choose to do with the things of this world reveals the world that we are traveling to right now. And if what you enjoy and purchase and use the stuff that you gather around you, if that stuff is secondary to your trust in Jesus, and you can look at it and say, Jesus, thank you for this. Praise Jesus. How can I use this to further your kingdom? When you're doing that, there's there's nothing else. Praise Jesus. And he's extravagant. He gives us things that, that we want just because we want them. Praise Jesus. And you realize that you don't need to steal them because if you don't have whatever that stuff is you're thinking about, if you don't have it, you still know you are safe (sighs) and you are loved. You... And I can depend on Jesus because you know that he will give us what we need to do the tasks that he gives us. Furthermore, God knows what will make you happy and very often he will demonstrate his extravagance to you by supplying your need there as well. One small example. You all know that I used to ride my bike everywhere before I had my accident and broke my shoulder. Anyways, there's no sour grapes about that. I went on a ride with my favorite cycling team. My favorite cycling team came to the Central Coast. It was the week before the Tour of California, if you guys know about that. And you paid $100, and you got to ride on this one, I think it was like 65-mile ride with the team. And so you're riding along, and you're talking to the people you're going to see on TV in just a few days. It was great. Gave you this great lunch. And so now I'm pushing my bike away from where I just sat down and had lunch with three of the teammates on this team. And I kind of went the long way because all the people were over here. And frankly, I like not being in traffic. So I'm walking my bike and I walked right by the team bus. And what was laying out all along in front of the team bus? Team water bottles. Ah, you're going to laugh at that, right? But how cool would it be to have a team water bottle from your favorite team? And this is what happened. I'm walking my bike along, and I thought, there is nobody over here. It's, it's from here to that chair. There's 30 of those stupid water bottles right there. I could just go over and pick one up. I, it went through my head. I may have actually stopped walking at that moment too. I kept on walking. I put my bike on my truck and I drove home. A week later, the team was in Solvang and I paid 15 bucks for a water bottle and so <laughs> It's it's sitting in a cupboard with the door shut in my garage. So how important is that water bottle to me? But the lesson is what's important. I mean, I was tempted. I really was. In that moment, I was tempted to walk over there. They won't miss it. They've got cases of these water bottles. They won't miss one. They probably lose them on the side of the road anyways. They'll never miss it. But what would my heart have been telling me right now? I certainly wouldn't be telling this story. (laughs) if I had walked over there and picked up that water bottle. My friends, don't worry. Be generous. And you won't want to steal. And you'll just push it off your shoulder. Lord Jesus, I really do thank you that stealing is not a strong temptation in my life, but I know that it is a strong temptation in some of my brothers' and sisters' lives right here in front of me. And I also know, Lord Jesus, that they're probably perfectly strong in areas that I struggle with. Oh, Lord, we are all sinners for as long as you leave us here. God, let us rely on each other and let us rely on your promises. Let us band together and bring glory to you and let us support one another. Let us be generous with one another so that we will not be tempted to steal. And we will be able to encourage one another in those areas where they struggle so that they can turn around and encourage us where we struggle. God bless us and make us a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.